0: with that Ethiopian eunuch and explain to him about the passage from Isaiah, that Old Testament passage. So we talked about when we go and tell, we need to have the feet of Philip. We need to go where God says go, even if it doesn't make sense. And then we, uh, last week, last Sunday, if you weren't with us, we talked about the witness of a woman. A woman, in fact, a Samaritan woman is given great praise and acclaim in the word of God because once she met Jesus at that well and tasted the living water, it changed who she was. And she didn't let her reputation, she didn't let her past hold her back. She went back to the village, and she told anyone and everyone about the woman that she had met at the well. So we've covered the feet of Philip, we've covered the witness of a woman. Today in Acts chapter 4, we're specifically looking at the passion, the passion of Peter and John. Peter and John were... Passionate, And why were they passionate? Because Peter and John had been disciples. They had walked with Jesus. They had fished with Jesus. They had traveled with Jesus. And so where we're at in the book of Acts chapter 4 is after the death, the burial, the resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven. And Peter and John are the disciples that are now telling everyone about the one that has ascended and they are passionate about it, that there is nothing that can stop them. There's nothing that can slow them down. They could not remain silent. They could not be Mirandized. They could not be told to... Let me make it okay. I know some people think shut up is a bad word, but anyway, they could not be told to be quiet. They
1: could not stop.
0: Amen? And And that's, that's the example that we're given, and that's how we're supposed to be. We're also... We're not supposed to remain silent about what Jesus is doing in our life. We're not supposed to be quiet. We're not supposed to simmer down. We're supposed to be excited about what Jesus has done and what he is doing. And so these disciples, uh, Peter and John, could not remain silent. And where we're at in Acts chapter 4. So in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John had just healed a man. They had just healed a man in the name of Jesus. And that stirred up some people, let me tell you. I I know you wouldn't believe this, but sometimes church people can get uptight. I I know you wouldn't take this seriously, but church people can sometimes be the first to gripe and complain about something good. And so in Acts chapter 4, we find out that the church people, the religious, the intellectual, and the elite of that day are upset about this healing of this lame person in the name of Jesus And so they are going to confront Peter and John about it, and they're going to tell them to stop. They're going to tell them to simmer down. They're going to tell them to shut up. They're going to tell them to remain silent. So if you have your copy of God's Word and you've got it open to Acts chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 22. Would you please stand in reverence of the reading of God's Word in Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. bring me down a good notch. Thank you. Now as they were speaking to the people, the priest, the commander of the temple police and the Sadducees confronted them because they were provoked that they were teaching the people and proclaiming the resurrection from the dead using Jesus as the example. So they seized them and put them in custody until the next day since it was already evening. But many Of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's a lot of people. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Ananias, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they asked the question, By what power or in what name have you done this? This healing of the man is what they're referring to. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you, let it be known to y'all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you, you crucified, and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you, healthy. This Jesus is the stone by which, the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, given to people that we must be saved by. Now go tell that to Oprah Winfrey, amen. Verse 13, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in response. Now, it's hard to get an intellectual to shut up, but that man standing before them caused the intellectuals to shut up. After they had ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign, evident to all who live in Jerusalem, has been done through them, and we cannot deny it. However, so this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them. (laughs) against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to preach or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them. (laughs) They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, speak to us through your word. Move in us by your Holy Spirit. Hide me behind the old rugged cross. Thank you for these here today. Help us to get an excitement and a passion about going and telling others about Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, all God's people would say, Amen. you may be seated. 5,000 men after this sermon, after the healing of the man and after this sermon and this teaching by Peter and John, 5,000 men were added. Now, let me put that in perspective for you. It tells us that at the time that Jesus ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives, after his death, burial, and resurrection, when he ascended into heaven, it counts his followers as 120. So to go from 120 followers to 5,000 with this preaching and teaching that, that Peter and John are doing, that is multiplication to the max. That is an exponential growth. In the church, they can only be explained through a move of the Holy Spirit. No, no church growth plan, no church campaign, no marketing did that. That was a move of God. Uh, and we find that to go from 120 to 5,000, how many of you know that they probably had some growing pains? How many of you know that some things happened? In fact, we learn about that in a couple of chapters after this in Acts chapter 6 where we find that there are, there's complaints arising among the Jews, the Hebraic Jews versus the Hellenistic Jews, about the issue of widows not being served because the church grew so fast there weren't enough servants to serve. There weren't enough people to do the work. So with growth comes growing pains. But here's what we find. Not only does it have growing pains, but how many of you know that not everybody celebrates when things are going good? Not everybody's in a good mood just because God showed up and showed out. In fact, we find that the religious of that day, the high church, that's what I call them, the high church, the, 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 the self-righteous and pious, uh, they probably went to the first self-righteous church of Pascagoula, Mississippi, if I had to guess. <laughs> they got upset. They got upset about the growth, and they got upset about all the people talking in Pascagoula. And they said, we've got to do something about this. We've got to get them to stay silent because this could be a problem. They didn't see the, the healing and, and, the, and the work of God as a good thing. It intimidated the very educated, the very highly esteemed, the men that had a bunch of titles, the men that had a bunch of nice robes and appeared to be important. It didn't, it, they didn't like this. Sometimes church people are the first to get upset about things that you would think, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And we see that in this example in Acts chapter 4, they weren't all happy, so they detained, and interrogated, they detained and interrogated Peter and John. You know, it's one thing, by the way, to witness to people that are at your level, that you spend time around, that you've grown up around. We call those your peers. It's one thing to witness to a peer or someone that is at the same level as you. But let me ask you this. What about witnessing to someone in authority? What about witnessing to someone that has more titles than you? What about witnessing to someone that has more degrees? They're more educated than you, maybe. It's a little intimidating. I want you to think about Peter and John for a moment. Fishermen by trade, not highly educated, not highly trained, but let me tell you the difference. They walked with Jesus. They walked with Jesus, and because of that, what they may have lacked in education or informal sophistication and training, the move of the Spirit made up for you. Don't be intimidated when you're talking about God, whether it's to a boss, whether it's to a peer, whether it's to a person in authority. Everybody deserves to hear the good news. Don't allow their titles or their social status to intimidate you because everyone deserves to know the truth. Everyone deserves to hear Jesus says. Jesus is for the down and out, but don't miss this—he's for the up and in too. Jesus is for everyone, and so when we start allowing people's education levels to intimidate us, well, brother Chad, what if they—what if they want to debate me? What if they—what if they, they ask me a tough question and I don't know the answer to? What, what, what if they—what if they they, they stump me and it makes me look like a fool or an idiot? Let me just tell you this: when you are—it's amazing to me in a witnessing encounter how God will say something for you as his mouthpiece if you will simply make yourself available. There's the key. I have said stuff in a witnessing encounter that I went, hmm, where did that come from? <laughs> I have literally, like, had goosebumps before as I've been witnessing to an intellectual because that's just not how I think. That's not how my mind goes. But he posed a difficult question, and the words that came out of this Northwestern State grad's mouth was like something out of Harlboro. <laughs> and that ain't me. That, you know me.
1: That, and I was like, ooh.
0: <laughs> when you will make yourself available, when you will make yourself, and by the way, I hate to tell you this, but it's really not about winning the debate. It's about winning their soul. Right. So let me just say this. Let's say they do pose a tough question. And let's say it does intimidate you. And let's say that it does cause you to be stumped and you may not get, have the answer for them. You know what you've done? You've planted a seed. And the way you respond to that. In humility, I don't know the answer to that question, but can I get back to you on that? Meanwhile, segue back to the point of their salvation and their need for Jesus. It's amazing how maybe with you being honest and humbling yourself and saying, I don't know everything, and, and I, I don't know the, the answer to your question that you're asking. I'll get back with you, but I'm really concerned that we haven't finished this conversation so it's not about winning a debate. It's about winning their soul. And I want your focus not to be on proving how smart you are. That shouldn't be your goal anyway. Because if all you ever wanted to do is prove how smart you are, you'd only debate people that were at a different level than you. <laughs> you you'd never engage in, con, you know, you'd always go into, like, oh, this one.
1: <laughs>
0: hey, Bubba. No,
1: that's <laughs>
0: Don't be easily intimidated when doing the work of the Lord. Academics need to hear the good news. Leaders need to hear the good news. People in authority need to hear the good news. Like I said, Jesus is for the down and out, but he's also for the up and in. Jesus is for everybody. I want to draw your attention to verse 11 real quick. There in Acts chapter 4, verse 11. Right after Peter tells them, right after Peter tells them that this Jesus whom you crucified Whom you crucified, he then gives this analogy. Jesus is the stone rejected by the builders, which has become the cornerstone. He is talking to a highly educated, highly trained, sophisticated crowd of religious people, and he's telling them, this Jesus whom you crucified, the stone that the builders rejected. Why would a builder reject a stone? Well, as a builder is building something, if the stone is not of the right quality, if the stone doesn't appear to meet his standards, he throws out the stone. They call those the throwaways. He would literally throw it out, and it would not be used for building purposes. It would be used for something uh, less, you know, less than a building. Uh, Peter is making the analogy here that Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected, but has now become the corner. Stone. Now, what's the difference between a throwaway and a cornerstone? Well, a throwaway stone never gets used to building. A cornerstone is your foundational principle of a building. In fact, it is the standard stone. It is the stone by which all measurements are determined on. The cornerstone, if it were to be removed from a building, the whole building would collapse because of that corner being compromised. Peter is saying here, Jesus is the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, Jesus is that stone which the builders threw away. You who crucified Jesus, you've rejected this one who has become the cornerstone. Imagine how it made these highly educated, highly trained, sophisticated men to be told that they threw away what later became the cornerstone. They would have felt humbled by this fisherman. They would have felt humbled by this uneducated Bubba, by the way. They would have felt like, who are you? But you know it had to sink in. You know the seed had been planted because they're starting to think. They did just heal this guy, this guy who was lame, that for 40 years we knew him. We saw him. There's no doubt about it. That guy was a cripple. That guy was lame, and they went over him and prayed in Jesus' name, and now they couldn't deny that. They could debate some things, and they could debate philosophy and physics, but they couldn't debate an experience. They couldn't debate what they're seeing with their own eyes. It was right there in front of them, standing, made whole, made well. A man that had been lame is now standing on his own feet. You cannot deny reality. Now, some people can. I, I, am, I am puzzled by that, but, but these, they, they, they knew with him standing there, there was no way they could deny it. Peter and John's passion would not allow them to remain silent, and I love their response to it. So go and look at it again. When they said, "Look, <laughs> whether it's right or not, uh, you know, allow that to, to be to be judged. Whether it's right in the sight—I'm in mean, verse 19. Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable." That means they did not have the ability. They—it it was beyond their their ability to stop talking about Jesus. He says there. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. They saw it. They heard it. They knew it. They could not remain silent. So my question for you today is, how can you, how can you remain silent about something so monumental? How can you remain silent about something that made all the difference for your eternity? How can you remain silent about something that you say changed you? How can you remain silent about something that you say made all the difference in your life? Why would you not want to tell that to the world? Why would you not want to say what you've learned, what you've been taught, what you've experienced? There's two answers to that. You haven't seen it. You haven't heard it. You haven't experienced it. That's one answer. You you come to church, but you're not a born-again believer. So that's one answer. The other answer is this. You have seen it. You have heard it. But you don't truly believe it. You don't truly believe it. Let me tell you something. Peter and John didn't have a choice. (laughs) They walked and looked in that empty tomb. They said, He's not here. I saw him come down from that cross. You know they had that conversation. His body was lifeless. And I'm sure John would say, yeah, remember, remember the Roman? He, he speared a sign and what came forth, blood and water, a sign of a broken heart, a sign that that man is dead. You don't need to break his legs. Death has already taken place in that man. We, they watched him. They watched Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take his lifeless, dead, beaten body off the cross, wrap him in linen cloths, and place him in this tomb that we're now looking in, and he ain't there. So then the only conclusion you can have is somebody took his body. But the problem with that story is a stone was rolled in front of it, with guards, with Roman soldiers that stood there that would not allow anybody to get in there. And now all of a sudden there's been some kind of earthquake. The stone is rolled away. The body's not in there. So now you're thinking, okay, maybe, maybe it's possible somebody's taken. But then you turn around and he's like, don't fear. I'm here. Be not afraid. They saw him with their own eyes. They looked at him, the one who had been taken down from the cross with no life in his body, now standing there saying, look at the scars. Behold my hands and my side. Look. Resurrected. They saw it. So Peter and John, they experienced it. They saw it. They heard it. And there was no way they could deny it. So my question is, have you seen it? Have you heard it? Have you experienced it? Truly, have you? Because if you have, you'll be telling somebody, you'll be cheering. On the other hand, you've seen it, and you've heard it, but you don't believe it. Just because you sit in a church, just because your membership is on the roll at some church, does not make you a believer. And for too long, Maybe you've sat there. And for too long, you've heard information, information, information. This is the information age. We've got more available to us on our phones than it took the very first spaceship to go to the moon. We've got all this at our fingertips. We've got all this information overload. Many of you are information exhaustion. You've got too much information. You are a walking Wikipedia.
1: But
0: information does not always mean transformation. That's not in my notes. That's from the Spirit. It's not in my notes, but it's in my anointing. Hello, somebody. Information does not always lead to transformation. So my question is, do you just have information about Jesus, or has there been a transformation? Transformation. I don't care how long you've sat here. I don't care how many churches you've been to. I don't care how many times you've been dunked. I don't care how many times you've taken the Lord's Supper. Today may be the first time that you really acknowledge that the grave is still empty and that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is Lord. You see, if we truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is, it will make a difference in how we live and who we tell. It wouldn't matter and it won't matter if if it's ever made illegal. It was illegal when Peter and John did it. Guess what? They were outlaws. They were outlaws. On the run. They were fugitives. Detained and interrogated. By what authority and by what name are you doing this? Breaking this law. See, it won't matter if it's ever made illegal. It won't matter if it's politically correct or incorrect. It won't matter if they... Uh, criticize you on TV or in the culture. None of that will matter because that's not what's important to you. It won't matter if it's it's convenient. Many times when you share the, the, the good news, it won't be convenient. It won't be comfortable. You'll kind of feel awkward sometimes. It won't matter, though, when you truly believe that Jesus is who he said he was. It won't matter if it's convenient, comfortable, legal, politically correct. You won't care. You won't care one thing I admire about my dad. He don't care.
1: <laughs>
0: my, my mom and dad were two different people. My mom cared. If you looked at her the wrong way, it ruined her day. She took everything personal. She wore her feelings on her sleeve. My dad, on the other hand, he just don't care.
1: <laughs>
0: he doesn't care whether you like him or love him. You can ask his brother. Am I right, Dudley? (laughs) He doesn't care, and that you know that is actually a gift because he doesn't need your approval. He has it already right there, And, and so we joke about it. We laugh about how he just don't care. But listen to me. When you really believe. The other person's reaction to your belief. It won't matter to you the other person's uh, opinion or response. Because you've already settled it right here. You've already what? Denied self, taken up my cross, and followed him. You've already done that. So it won't matter. You're not seeking that person's approval. You don't want that person's, you don't want that person to, to, uh, to all of a sudden be your number one fan. That's not what it's about sometimes wish I had a little more of my dad than I have of my mom. Because when you don't care, you say whatever you want to say. Got a little bit of Trump in it. Now, he, just,
1: he just says it.
0: Quite frankly, I don't care about your opinion. It is what it is. It is what it is. When the highly educated and religious people observed the boldness of these uneducated, untrained fishermen, they said, we can't deny. Do you notice that it had an impact on them? They said, guys, we can't deny that this passion and this, this excitement that they have and this experience that they've had. You know, people can debate issues. People can debate creation. People can debate pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip. People can debate the book, the Bible. What about the lost books of the Bible? You don't even read the books that we know about. Why are you asking me that? <laughs> <laughs> it's just so intriguing, these people. But anyway... Um, th- there, are t- there are things that can be debated. There are things that can be argued. And I, lo- I really do love that, and I love the, the, those type of conversations. But listen to me. Listen real quick. <clears throat> okay we can debate creation we can debate the books of the bible we can debate the rapture we can debate things in the church the different denominations how come there's so many how come the baptists can't get along you know all all <laughs> these different things we can debate all that right but here's one thing you can't debate passion and experience when you are fired up about something when you are excited about something People can't deny your excitement. People can't deny your passion. So here's what I'm going to tell you. When you go out witnessing, uh, drink a bang before you go. <laughs> <laughs> t- t- get you a shot of caffeine or something. Because, listen, I wouldn't want some of, some of the Jesus that y'all share when you. like. I just want to tell you, that Jesus made all the
1: difference in my life. And Jesus got in the heart me.
0: But at the
1: same time,
0: if you got if you got light in your eyes and life in your heart, oh, I can't tell you how many times because you don't you can't manipulate it, you can't you can't fake it. But there's been so many times where I've been in this debate with somebody and all of a sudden, uncontrollably, I'm not even trying. I, like, I don't, I'm not thinking about anything sad, and the tears start flowing, and I've had the person go, are you okay? Because we were having a great conversation, a great debate, and they're like, are, are you okay? And I have to tell them, no, I'm very concerned about you and where you're going to spend eternity. And I've had an intellectual that was a centenary graduate, if that tells you anything, and we were in the middle of debating the cosmological evidence of God and whether the the, the solar system and the order of things points to a creator. And, and I was really not making any headway. And he didn't say anything that hurt my feelings. I wasn't sad. I was in a great mood. And I was actually enjoying this because it challenges me. And all of a sudden,
1: these tears are coming. I'm like, why don't you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and this guy stuck. And he's like, "You're really concerned about me," and I was like, "Yes." And he goes, "But I barely know you." And he was like, "That's something I can't deny. Your care for me." He said, "We can sit here all day and debate." He said, "But you just took it to another level." So this is why I'm saying, don't manipulate it. Don't fake it because it can't be faked. But watch how God, through the Holy Spirit, will use you planting that seed. Peter and John, in front of highly educated men, wowed the audience. They left their audience, watch this, inside up and speechless. <laughs> These intellectual people that can go on and on and on and all day long. He put them in their place. Peter and John and the passion that they have. So here's, I want to close with this. Think about what Jesus has done for you. How can it not stir you? How can it not? (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Do you give your coworkers and your friends and family and neighbors a reason to come to church? Or do you give them more of a reason? If you were a billboard, you, Beulah Land Baptist Church, would it say, come this Easter Sunday? Or would it say, don't waste your time? If you were a billboard, what would it say? I'm going to allow this next video to do what sometimes words can't do. If pictures are worth a thousand words, then like I said last Sunday, maybe a video is worth a million. I don't know. But allow this next video, and specifically the words and the message of this song, to inspire you and to motivate you to go and tell.
1: time to go.
0: tell. People need to hear the good news. People deserve to know the truth. And you and I are the ones that Jesus has told. Take this message. Go and tell. Would you stand? This is your invitation to respond to however God is moving in you. I just believe that God is calling some of you to the ministry. God is calling some of you to serve. God is calling some of you to salvation. God is calling some of you to go across the street, to go across the world. I don't know what God is calling you to do, but I believe that he still calls people. And I believe that he's moving in your heart today. Please respond. Please don't walk away without making a decision. To listen and obey, to trust and obey, even if you don't know how to work, just take that first step of faith. Most Gracious Heavenly Father, this is the invitation, this is where we ask people to respond, to show, to publicly declare what they're going to do by what you did today in this service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Amen.